You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, makers of PV cell software, and Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and Fair Dinkum. I'm the editor of One Step Off the Grid and Renew Economy. And joining me is uh, Fair Dinkum, Nigel Morris. How are you, Mark? Nigel? Oh, I'm Fair Dinkum. Thanks. Fair Dinkum, mate. Fair Dinkum. Fair Dinkum. Oh, I just want to say that... Um, <laughs> Is this, how we're, is this how we're starting this week? No, nah, this is straight we, into the mate, straight for the throat. That's what we do. That's what we're about. <laughs> we're fair income. Oh, we're yeah. fair income. You know, fair shout income. out to uh, Mick, shout out to Mick Fanning's mum because um, that's what we do. That's what we're about. We're going to do this, and then we're going to do that because um, you know I'm standing on a bus. I'm standing on the beach. I'm catching a plane. I'm eating a strawberry. Now I'm eating that's a pie. I'm drinking a beer and fair income. That's the way we're going to do it. That's where we are. That's where we are. We're getting yeah, on with it. Dinkum. We're, we're getting as fair on with it. as they come, mate. We're, we're for business. And we're mm. for... Well, look, we're for solar. I'm not too sure about the other mob. I think no. um, Scott Morrison has been um, photographed with every possible appliance and um, consumable product in his hand, but not a solar panel as yet. Oh, really? No. That's, um, even, even Tony Abbott climbed on a roof once a few years ago. I remember that. Did he fall off? No, 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 no. Funnily enough, Ang- Angus Taylor, the energy mm. minister, mm. Um, he, of the person who says there's already too much wind and solar uh, on the grid, mm. went to Brisbane last week and visited a classroom that has been taken off the grid. Uh, well, actually, it's a new classroom that never connected to the grid because it's powered only by solar and battery storage because, guess what? It's cheaper than being attached to the mostly coal-dominated grid in Queensland. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was quite amusing. That is. So, Those um, guys are doing some good stuff, actually. We've, we've had a chat with them in the past. They've got some amazing plans for... Who are they? ...those classrooms. The guys... I forget the name of the company now, but... Um, um, that's very rude of me, but um, the guys who, who are behind that design um, for those classrooms, they're in really interesting characters. Yeah, interesting stuff. Look, um, before we get too carried away with mm. um, fair income news, um, mm. we should sort of um, we should just say that um, the ESRES is safe for now. Um, obviously, just too hard for anyone to get rid of it um, before the federal <laughs> election. So um, that's um, that's going to stay there. Yeah, so it would, so it would seem. Although you know we have heard this before, but um, it does seem like a commitment has been made now that that they can't really come back on or, or turn back on. Um, without some severe embarrassment. So it does look pretty safe, doesn't it? Yeah, well, there's a whole lot of other sort of, you know, chicanery going on, um, you know, on power prices and this new generation thing. Um, Obviously, that's sort of targeted towards, you know, coal and gas. But um, the good news Mm. is rooftop solar is good. And I suppose... um, um, some of the uncertainty about the future of that scheme combined with the Victorian government scheme, that's just seen an absolute rocket in the stats provided by one of our sponsors, SunWiz um, and PV Cell. Um, in the last month, in October, we not only did we establish a new record, we smashed it, 157 megawatts, was it, in a single month? We're I think that's about right, yeah. 1.2 yep. gigawatts for the year, just 1.25 gigawatts for the year. Mm. Um, online for 1.5 gigawatts, and this is just small-scale rooftops, so you throw out a bit of large-scale rooftop, which is probably going to be another 100 megawatts, and then all the large-scale solar. Um, that's huge. WA um, has climbed over the one gigawatt mark. 
Has and, it? Wow. Um, yes. wow. That's Vi- cool. Victoria very nearly pipped Queensland as the top market. Really? Wow. That is going off then, isn't and it? And if we talk for about another 30 minutes, I reckon the two millionth household would have signed up for rooftop solar. Because oh, it's at really? 1.99 or something million at the end of October. So sometime in the first week of November, you'd expect that... Um, that benchmark to be passed. It is such good news for 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 Australians. The whole solar thing, um, really, isn't it? And and to hear these numbers growing and these opportunities coming out for consumers who've been you know caught on the fringes and you know really battling to get in. I was chatting with someone who went to the um, the SEA New Zealand conference the other week, and they said they showed a um, a graph of the annual installations in New Zealand, uh, annual solar installations on residential rooftops in New Zealand, and then they overlaid Australia. Australia over the top of it and they went yeah so New Zealand's like two weeks in Australia so that'd be about right yeah. Tot- yeah so that's because they're know, not fair dinkum are they that's they're not fair dinkum clearly <laughs> clearly they claim all these you know pavlovas and land speed records they're not fair dinkum at all Look, one thing I think we should do, though, and I do want to see more attention given to the um, lower-income houses, uh, housing and stuff like that. I want to see more schemes, like we saw in South Australia, the Labor government there, uh, making sure that for low-income housing and housing trust or public housing, they actually get um, rooftop solar and battery storage in there for no payment at all. They can pay off a discounted rate back to whoever invests in it. But um, it's a great Mm. opportunity, one, to make sure that that particular sector um, doesn't miss out. Um, we get a new retail, a bit more competition in the market, and by having more solar and storage with those houses, we've actually got an extra asset. And um, it was interesting. I was invited to talk at the ACOS conference last week, and um, I wasn't actually talking. I was just, well, I was crapping on a little bit, but um, mostly introducing <laughs> other people. But um, but it was interesting just sort of talking to these people, you know, who are in the sort of you know the, the social area, and just some of the issues that are you know that have been. Um, raised with low-income housing and just how ruthlessly this sector gets screwed by the big energy retailers and it just seems so blindingly obvious to find an equitable scheme to introduce rooftop solar and battery storage to this particular sector it combines a community good a grid benefit Mm. and it solves that pressing issue because some of the stories are you know just like you know eye-raising it, it's it's true, yeah, 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 and and it's interesting. We've been um, talking a lot lately about solar rentals um, uh, here at Solar Analytics, and there's been a lot of industry talk about solar rentals as well. Um, the acquisition that we talked about a few months ago included um, uh, the acquisition of a company who was in that space, and the industry is very interested. And there's a lot of talk in government about how do we help solar renters as well. And of course, solar renters and being a renter, I, I know exactly about rental stress in Australia. It is really, really tough renting a property, um, let alone if if you're on a, a low income, you know. Um, so um, yeah, there's a it is a it is a really tricky marketplace to get the mechanisms and get the policies right. But I, I sense we're not far away, Giles. I think uh, I think there's going to be some interesting announcements quite soon. Well, look, I hope so. Look, um, mm. one of the um, regular um, contributors to the discussions in the forums on One Step Off the Grid and Renew Economy apparently is you know, quite an investor. He's got about five or six different investment houses. And he just says anyone who owns property and doesn't put solar on the on the roof just should be shot on the spot because they're too bloody stupid. Because he says it's you know it's tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a fantastic agreement and engagement with um, the people who rent the household, and um, and everyone's a winner, and it adds, mm. adds value to the household. Why wouldn't you? 
Mm. Yeah, well, and, and that's actually the, the, some of the issues that we've been debating, um, both amongst government and some of the industry associations who've been chatting to us. And then, you know, as a renter, and I actually own a small little investment property as well, and I tested this with because um, I had to re-rent it recently. And um, one of the big challenges, um, dare I say it, is real estate agents. So I uh, had, a, had a very frank conversation with my real estate agent and said, look, look, look I could throw some solar on. We're in between tenants. Some... Um, you know, how much extra rent do you think I would get? And and the real estate agent who was advising us said, absolutely nothing. Uh, consumers don't see any value in it at all. And, you know, renters, uh, there's no value in it. Now, if you put an air conditioner in or you put a dishwasher in, I could definitely get more rent for you. But solar, nah, no value. Feeling combined, so, there's, no, <laughs> there's, no limit, there's no limit to the stupidity of these people. No, so, you know, there's work to be done, but opportunities where uh, opportunities are out there as well. Mm. Moving on from real estate agents to the Matthews of the world, what can you tell us? Oh, look, I just wanted to, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for um, all the listeners that, that actually very kindly tune in every couple of weeks. And, and there, there is not a week that goes by that I don't meet one of them well, or two well, of them. Well, we probably would be here, but just not talking to very many people. But there you go. <laughs> That's right. We'd just be having a nice yarn. But um, ironically, um, last week I was in Brisbane and met two Matthews in Brisbane uh, who both bailed me up um, uh, and just said, oh, huge fans. Um, There are T-shirts on the way, uh, Matthews, um, and just had the most wonderful, kind compliments um, about um, the podcast. Uh, So thanks to all the Matthews in Brisbane. It was great to meet uh, one of you. uh, The other one, the other Matthew I already knew. A couple of T-shirts coming your way, boys. Good on you. And good on Matthews. Good on Matthews. They're fair Clearly. All praise to Matthews. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, look, I've got lost. What are we talking about next? Let's go to Solar Tech News because we haven't talked about photovoltaics lately. And um, Flotovoltaics. Flotovoltaics. We actually got some just nearby in Lismore floating in a pile of poo. On the Lismore you do, sewage, sewage oh, no. event. Um, and it's oh, won a couple no. of prizes, probably for the um, installers who put it in. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, it's not without its challenges. Clearly, I saw a photo recently of one that, um, you know, where a, a, a fairly big typhoon had come through. It was in Asia. And um, a lot of the uh, pontoons had been flipped over. And, uh, you know, there's so definitely a challenging space. But I picked up on a report the other day um, that um, said that last year, 1.1 gigawatts uh, of photovoltaics was installed, which is almost as much as the entire solar industry in um, 2000, so 17 years ago. So it's you know, 1.1 1. 1 gigawatts of floating solar around the world. Are you kidding indeed, me? Indeed, indeed. Um, not huge installs so far, that, but there have been a bunch in China that went in in the last, oh, this year, in fact, um, that were in excess of 150 megawatts. Um, so they're starting to grow now. And of course, for countries where that's um, a bloody big sewage pond, Nigel. It's a it's a big pond. It's a big it's a <laughs> big a, pile of that's, that's an awful lot that's of feed income stuff. Yeah, that's that's right. That's a, that's a feed income floating solar. That is. It's it's biggest floater we've seen so far. Um, but the um, the cool thing, the thing I really love about photovoltaics, and especially in developing countries, and and indeed. You know, years ago I had a good little play around with this in Australia because the reduction in evaporation is a huge, um, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, fringe benefit that you get from photovoltaics, of course, because it's shading the water. So it, it just stops that direct sunlight from evap- uh, causing evaporation, which is a huge issue in Australia. Um, so you go to any farm where they've got a little dam or a little lake or even some of these bigger ones, um, you know, you look at, you know, trying to keep um, snowy um, hydro topped up so that they can deliver power on demand. Well, reducing the evaporation from um, the snowy uh, river dam um, could yield huge energy benefits, for example, by just reducing that uh, evaporation. And they talk about reductions in evaporation in the order of 90%, right? So really, really substantial um, benefits. And of Perhaps course... we should cover the whole of the Murray and Darling river systems with solar. Well, I've seen canals in India covered in mm. solar panels for exactly the same reason. They just built frames over the top of these big canals and just shaded the canals to reduce the evaporation uh, for the uh, for the nearby um, cropping um, facilities that were using that water and they were trying to um, prove or demonstrate that they could reduce evaporation. So huge benefit. And of course, you don't need land. So if you've got restrictions on land or you've got difficult land or you've got rocky land, you've got anything else, the nice thing about using a pond or a lake is that it's flat when you start, right? So you just got to get those pontoons out there. There are some challenges. Um, and, and there are a couple of really cool examples. There's one in Spain I was reading about where... Um, They'd actually put it in and specifically match the power requirement of the pumped hydro that they were playing with. So, you know, they could they they, they were kind of trying to offset the energy that was going to be required um, for this little pumped hydro demo by putting enough PV in to offset the energy consumption that was going to be used by the pumps when it was pumping it back up for use later on. So, you know, shout out to photovoltaics. I, th- I think it's one of those emerging little segments um, that we haven't seen enough of yet, but it's great to see it growing. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be busy after this podcast. We've got to register the name of Feed Income Solar and now Blind Mark Solar. So um, <laughs> right. it's going to be... <laughs> yes. Now, look, big, I'm talking... Big floater, I'm thinking. Big floater, big floater. So, <laughs> <laughs> talking about brand names, um, one very well-known brand name, brand name has decided to call it quits and shut down, True Value Solar. Now, um, not everyone's favourite cup of tea when you go back about six, seven or eight years ago, but um, very interesting story, Nigel. It is a, it is a really interesting story, and I'll, I'll say right off the bat that I'm not exactly sure what their trading status is yet. There hasn't been anything public that I've seen um, that's come out from the parent entity, and there was a change in the entity. But if we look quickly back at their history, so the interesting thing about TVS was they were one of the first really, really big mega national solar companies in Australia. If not the first, there were there were a number of really good um, big solar players in the day, but TVS really came out and showed how to do it at massive scale. Um, now, the downside of that was that they. Um, the upside was that the scale and the volume that they got meant that they could drive prices down to a point that we'd never seen before. Um, I happened to see some of the numbers around the traps um, years ago that they were spending, you know, 10, 14, perhaps even $20 million a year on marketing and advertising. So they were able to create this machine that, you know, um, leveraged everything. They were really, really leveraged. They were leveraged by delivering lots of volume of STCs, which meant they could negotiate a better price on STCs. They were leveraged on the volume that they were going to get from their suppliers, which meant they'd get a lower price. So they leveraged the whole business and had hundreds of employees there and they built up a huge model. But inevitably what ended up happening was the quality um, uh, just went out of the equation and there were way too many stories, unfortunately, 
over the years about poor quality equipment, about poor quality service, about a lack of support, about um, um, you know problems with subcontractors doing poor quality work, problems with the, the with the parent company not supporting it, and that went on for a long time. And then it was sold to a very very large international company, um, and they really tried to they took a bit of a step back and said, oh, I wonder if we could change this. We're a big international company with a good solid brand. Let's let's try and restructure this. And they tried. And then they changed owners, uh, changed management again, and they tried, and they changed management again. And um, the last attempt uh, resulted in a, in a new guy coming in as the CEO about 18 months, two years ago, I think it was. He yeah, was a guy right, who'd yeah. been in the Australian PV industry for many, many years and had a, had a, had a really good understanding of what it took to do things properly. Um, um, they actually bought some um, some gear off Solar Analytics, so we had a bit of a relationship with them. And you know, they went as far as you know, literally getting rid of the vast majority of staff that were in the business and replacing them to change the culture because they found that they, that's where they'd made one of the mistakes in the past. They hadn't been able to get rid of this culture of just it needs to be cheap, it needs to be cheap, it needs to be cheap. And um, they worked really, really hard at it. And I've had a number of ex-employees popping up around social media and sort of giving little snippets of the stories and you know ultimately they just couldn't seem to reconcile the 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 association of it's got to be cheap if it's tvs uh, and trying to get quality products and services out there they did manage to lift the quality they did manage to resolve a huge number of warranty complaints that were that were sort of hung around their neck um, but clearly, um, well, it would appear, I say clearly, it, it, it appears to me that the investors, the owners of the business, the international guys just ran out of steam, ran out of patience, ran out of money. I don't know exactly what it was, but it's, it's going to be some combination of this kind of noose around their neck of ongoing problems versus the challenges with trying to to trying to be a very, very large volume player, but not doing it at the lowest price yeah. point. And that that appears to be perhaps irreconcilable and um well so, no yeah. well that, that, that's that, that that's the word i'm getting and we published a story pretty much saying that they're sort of closing their doors and um mm. if you say that about a company um if it's not true they ring you up in about two and a half seconds mm. um and they certainly did not um look i guess it just sort of shows the issues that if you go down the ladder in terms of sort of um you know quality and pricing range it's very hard to sort of bring it back up again but look good for them for doing the right thing in shutting down progressively honoring their warranties and yep. um and, and doing the right things because we've seen enough people um just sort of disappear and sort of shut yeah. the, shut the door and, and skedaddle out of the country or out of the state or wherever yeah and will reappear next door with a different shingle um yep. so these guys are doing the right thing so um all it would appear to them. so yeah it would appear and so. that's and that's fair mm-hmm. income yeah, that that's is been, fair. That is fair, Dinkum. If you know, not yeah. The reality is, as we well know, no matter whether it's solar or any other business, it, it's tough being in business. It is just tough, and you know, the the world's changing around us, and businesses collapse every day because of. Um, not necessarily because of things they've done, just because of circumstances or bad luck or bad timing or whatever else it would be. And half the battle is, you know, can you close in in the most decent way possible and and try not to leave people stranded and um, do your damnedest to uh, to support those customers who you've left behind. Um, uh, in in and so in an unfortunate situation like this, it, it would appear that that's exactly what's going to happen, which is great news for consumers. And certainly, I know the CEC and other industry associations are are watching very very closely and trying to ensure that no one gets left behind. 
And I just want to make this pledge right now that here at uh, Fair Dinkum Solar Insiders, we will not abandon our <laughs> listeners we will without, without proper notice. We've still got all those T-shirts to get rid of. We've still got all these T-shirts so to get rid of for a start. Anywhere. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, um, people are not being so Fair Dinkum, um, or otherwise known as Crap Solar. What's going on? Mm. Uh, well, um, a, couple of, a couple of interesting ones. Um, so I had a personal experience with this actually because I got a call in the office last week out of the blue um, from a, a company trying to sell me solar over the phone. I was delighted. It never happens to me. Um, it was an overseas call center. They gave me, um, you know, a quick version of, uh, you know, why you need solar 101, wanted to arrange an appointment, blah, 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 blah. And um, as soon as I started probing and ask, asking questions and, um, you know, sounding like I knew what was going on, um, the... Uh, the guy on the end of the call actually got really, really angry with me. Uh, he accused me of lying. He accused me of, um, you know, trying to cheat him. Uh, he thought you weren't fair dinkum. He didn't think I was fair dinkum at all. And I was genuinely, I, was, I said, no, send the guy around. I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. I really want some stuff and there's none on my roof. And um, yeah, it was a horrible experience. I have to admit, I felt dirty afterwards. And, and, and the way that this guy treated me and... You know, he'd made a blunder. He was looking at the wrong roof and insisting that I already had solar, and there is not solar on my roof. Um, and and he just immediately started attacking me. It was extraordinary. So um, yeah, that was that was that one. Um, there was another interesting story. Um, so did you get solar from him? No, he refused to send one round. <laughs> This guy was going to come round. I lined up an appointment at 9pm at night at my convenience. 9pm at night because that's yeah. the best time to have a look that's at the, the roof. Be- that's the best time. But he's seen, he, oh yeah, someone will be there, no worries You can at check all, the but- shading at 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it was just awful. Um, but um, yeah, no, back to the other one. There was um, there was an interesting story. And again, big shout out to the guys and girls on uh, Crap Solar on Facebook, which is um, a really valuable source of uh, endless entertainment, but valuable stories. Um, uh, interesting one there this week where someone had chose to finance solar. Now, that's that's not a bad idea if you don't have the cash. Uh, finance is, is reasonably good these days. If you get a good finance deal, it can be a great way to get solar on your roof. Um, however, this customer had had, um, uh, had made the mistake of choosing uh, a, a bottom-end solar company and a combination of a high finance deal. Um, and um, what happened was they got a cheap system and then suddenly it couldn't get connected for some reason. So they started ringing and ringing and chasing and chasing and chasing. And they basically went round and round and round in circles for 90 days without the system being connected. And then, you know, the supplier sort of threw their hands up in the air and said, oh, it's not us, it's the, it's the network company and we can't do anything and pretty much abandoned them. In the meantime, the customer had not looked carefully at the contracts they were signing. And from week two, after the system was installed, not connected, not generating, not giving any credits on their bill, from week two, the finance payments started. So they were being forced by the finance company to pay for a system that was not connected and was not working. And in fact, I've seen two more stories of this happening. So tip number one, if you are going to finance solar, do read extremely carefully in great detail the contract that you are signing with the finance company because ultimately that's who is going to take the money from your bank account and you it is very difficult to get out of one of these finance deals once you have signed up so um important lesson on financing make sure you know exactly what you're getting in for and make sure there is an exclusion clause if the solar is not connected and generating 
Absolutely. So tip number one. Mm. Um, tip number two, this is a very, very important one, made the, made the newspapers, in fact, was a consumer warning from the ACT government. Um, now, they actually named this, um, this particular gentleman, um, uh, so I'm going to name him too, Mr. Rajan Walia, who has been trading in the ACT as Mr. Solar, Mr. Solar Canberra and Mr. Solar Australia. And I quote, the ACT government has demonstrated a history of taking deposits for the installation of solar systems that he then does not supply. That was according to Mr. Snowden, one of the uh, fair trading okay. type. Well, that's not fair income. And just to repeat, that's Mr. Solar, Mr. Solar Canberra and Mr. Solar Australia. It sounds yep. like you should avoid. At, avoid at all costs. And the ACT government has made a very explicit recommendation. And there's another one. That. Who's not being feared income? There's another one, from this time from South Australia, and again, named and shamed, a consumer warning from the South Australian government on a company called Synergy Solar and Electrical, guy by the Mr. Uh, name of Mr. David Dare. Um, Mr. And, and to quote uh, the SA Gov, Mr. Dare's installation practices may pose a danger to persons or property. Um, it could not be more explicit than that. And in fact, there were a bunch of photos that appeared alongside the article um, on, uh, on Facebook showing some of the appalling uh, electrical work. I mean, it's, as everyone on the, on the page was saying, it's a, mir- it's, it's a miracle no one's already been killed by this guy's work. It was sloppy beyond belief and just, just was, you wonder how this guy ever mm. had an electrical mm. license. So stay away from well, Synergy Solar and Electrical. Yes, that synergy, um, probably not the same as the big WA retailer synergy. Just um, to be clear. Correct. Just to be clear. Just to be clear. <laughs> That's right. Now, mate, look, let's, um, we, we, look, last week, for those who missed it, um, we did our first driven podcast um, with Nigel. So um, every two weeks. So the driven is our new electrical electric vehicle uh, news analysis website. And um, there's a weekly podcast, or it's supposed to be weekly anyway. It hasn't been weekly for the last couple of weeks, mainly because I've had a fair income battle with a extracted molar, <laughs> which went wrong. Um, if anyone knows what a dry socket is, then um, they can um, they can send sympathies my way. But it's a bit not fair dinkum. It's not fair dinkum at all. Um, so um, now where was I? Um, so look, anyway, so Nigel and I did this. Um, we decided to sort of separate the EV news out into a different podcast for the driven. So if you missed it last week, um, it's good fun and entertaining. This week we're actually going to throw a bit of EV news into this particular one because I'm after the Electric Vehicle Association's conference on Friday, so I'm going to have more than enough oh, to to go are with. You? Yeah, luck. Yeah, so I'm going to you know, have a bit of a poke around there and see what's awesome. going on. So, awesome. um, but anyway, look, you've got um, you've got some news. What's um, there's, there's what's two going or three on? really there's two or three really interesting ones. So the first one I picked up was Cummins have released um, a prototype of an electric excavator, which I thought was really really cool. Um, it's got a thirty five and a half. Uh, kilowatt hour uh, battery in it. It's designed to run for eight hours uh, in eight hours of operation time. So let's be um, clear: is Cummins an Australian company? No, I oh, don't okay. believe they are. I don't okay. believe they are. Yeah. Um, I think they might be part of an international group. Um, but it was really cool because it was one of those. It wasn't a huge excavator. It was a sort of mid-sized excavator. But when you think about it, you know, an excavator needs lots of torque. Um, it's not running at a hundred percent. Um, duty cycle, so it's not always operating. There's lots of sort of downtime in between, you know, moving buckets of soil or moving around on the site. It doesn't need high speed. Um, um, so it doesn't have a lot of the normal challenges that electric vehicles have, um, but it needs loads and loads of responsive 
um, delicate torque um, and it needs to drive its hydraulic pumps. And so great application and um, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that type of thing, but it was a kind of a segue into them doing a whole lot of electrification on that type of equipment. So that was really cool. Well, if I don't get my Tesla Model 3 soon enough, I might go off and get myself an excavator. <laughs> excavator. I can't wait to see you doing the run down the hill to the beach for a surf. You could pop your surfboard in the bucket, uh, dog in the back, and off you go. That would be something. That would be fair income. That would be fair income um, interesting, would wouldn't it? Yes. Be I, fair wonder, income. I wonder where I could park it at the beach there. <laughs> anywhere you like. The sand. Anywhere you like, mate, if you've got an excavator, trust me. <laughs> um, so that was cool. Um uh, in electric, uh, local electric news, I was blown away to read about um, uh, on a number of articles, including your um, excellent webpage, The Driven, uh, about Sierra Electric opening an EV factory in Morwell, uh, Morwell, Victoria, which seems to be the centre of the universe at the moment for announcements and everything else. We've got um, we've got the guys from Solar Victoria setting up down there, um, so lots of really outstanding efforts by companies, businesses. And um, the state government to you know to create new employment opportunities in that area where the um, you know now defunct uh, coal generating plant and mine are, 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 is closed down. Absolutely, it's called a just and fair income transition from coal. It is. That's exactly what it is, isn't it? So brilliant. These guys are going after the commercial segment, small and medium commercial vehicles. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of detail that I could pick out about exactly what they were doing, but they they have a platform. Um, that they kind of use across different vehicles. The specs look um, kind of really interesting. I can't wait to see what they come out with. It's great to have them there. So what they've been doing, I actually sort of sat down and um, I hosted a session down at All Energy in the electric vehicle um, stream and um, and I think it's uh, Tony Fairbrother or Fairweather uh, from mm-hmm. SEA was speaking mm-hmm. from SEA Electric and it was a really interesting presentation. So what they're doing is they're taking things like Isuzu trucks and um, other sort of common brand name trucks. They're basically just taking the, the, the basic chassis before anything else is done with it. They're, they're getting those in. They're putting their batteries on them. Um, they've got a way of doing this and then they sort of put the rest of the uh, truck They've got a together. drive system, yeah. They've got a drive system, and yep. um, they're basically they reckon two to four year paybacks um, on this investment. So it costs about an extra thirty or forty thousand dollars for the truck, but uh, well, depending on the size the size of the truck and um, and how much battery you need, but they reckon two to four year paybacks. They've got um, Woolworths and others are actually testing this at the moment, and that's really interesting. So I think that's where they're seeing the demand. They're just sort of seeing so so that's really interesting. Rather than sort of creating a whole um, automobile. Oh, Vehicle. Just basically yeah. taking a standard design, which doing is a bit of a variation of the old Better Place model. Yeah, and it's um, like the guys in SA were doing with it, which we talked about a, a few episodes ago, who were doing the the mining um, convert the conversions on um, Land Cruisers for mining applications as well. Right, same kind of thing. Not high speed applications, not high performance applications, but where you need torque um, and, and you need carrying capacity and, and they're modifying existing vehicles to do it and it's great and, that the tech is there now. And what you don't want is diesel fumes down 2,000 metres below the surface or a couple hundred metres down beneath the surface. So, D- damn straight. Um, Elon Musk was talking last week on a, um, a bit of a rambling podcast. He was interviewed by someone who had no idea what they were talking about. It just drove me mad with frustration. But some of the interesting things he was saying, he's doing this the boring company, so they just dug a 10-kilometer yes. tunnel under Los Angeles. And what was really interesting is that they're just using the chassis of a Tesla 3 
to take the soil out. So it was just ba- basically battery <laughs> operated. So there's no diesel fumes down there. So they had a Model Three without the sh- without the um, wow. w- w- without the car cover and things like Put that, and just basically using that. Couple of buckets on the top of her chassis. Couple of buckets on the on top of the measure of the Model Three, and um, in and out it went. Transporting, awesome. um, fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> and look, really, I mean, any underground miner who's not using electric vehicles within the next year or two needs to have their brain red, about brains it, red. It um, is interesting. I reckon this commercial space could be what this commercial and industrial space could well be where we open up and if you think about it Giles and you go back all the years ago when solar was just starting out it was commercial and industrial applications where solar first started right cathodic protection water pumping telecommunications um, uh, um, uh, marine navigations was the very earliest market so all those difficult applications where you had either environmental issues or you had um, um, you know you had really difficult issues to deal with that was where solar started as well so maybe that's the place that EV is really going to kick off as well and look we've got a few tradies who listen to our um, program I suspect and um, one of the things that Elon Musk is really excited about is his Tesla pickup or what we'd call a Tesla ute and he's got a couple of flash designs out there Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. You reckon this is a bit of Blade Runner, this is a bit of something, it's kind of an out there thing. And you think of these guys going around in their Toyota Hilaxes and you know, they sort of overtake me at God knows what speed going up and down these country roads. But I can just imagine them in one of these sort of souped up electric utes. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be enough battery capacity on them to be able to power all their tools. Yep. Um, yep. AC power real, for the site jobs. Absolutely, just yep. absolute game changer. Uh, I mean, like, and just ama- and imagine these guys. They would absolutely. They would absolutely who doesn't want an electric it? Ute? We all want an electric Ute, right? Oh. We all want one. So he was sort of saying, "I'm not too sure if there's a market out here." And I was just thinking, like shouting oh. out, "Bring it down here, mate! Bring, Bring it, it down, down. here!" Bring absolutely. It. It's, yeah, that's, that's fair, Dinkum. That, now, listen. Speaking of speaking of that, one more to slip in is Harley. Um, so this week, in fact today, the uh, Milan um, Motorcycle uh, um, Annual Expo took off and there is a whole hall um, dedicated to electric vehicles this year. First time, there's always been a few there for the last few years, but this year there's a whole hall apparently and there were some live feeds and interesting stuff appearing um, um, this morning. And I read a really interesting review about the Harley Livewire. Now, we've talked about the Harley before. They did a big launch or pre-launch a couple of years ago to test the market. They had 50-odd bikes that they shipped around the world, gave to Harley riders to test and uh, lots and lots of feedback. They then went back to the drawing board, finessed it and uh, at the Milan event uh, this morning, they uh, released or had on show um, the final pre-production uh, model. So it is the same as what they're going to go to production with. Um, the dates are a bit confusing, but it looks like they're actually going to bring it forward to 2019 now, according to some of the press releases I read. But an what was really ni- an, le- an electric Harley by 2019? An mean. electric Harley by 2019, and uh, there's a couple of videos floating around of it, you know, fanging around, going. Ugh. Uh, not making a traditional Harley noise, but they've just, just do that noise again for me. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, I'll send you a, a recording of it. Is that a fair income Harley noise? That was well. You know what was really interesting. There were two things that interested interested me about what I could see and what I could read about the Harley Livewire. Number one, it is. The, the design department has really done a pretty good job on it. And, and the guy, one of the guys who was there said, you know, when you see this thing in the flesh, it suddenly clicks and you go, man, that's a cool bike, right? And that's what they've 
really worked hard on and his view was that is a cool bike and that is a lot of the battle right and especially for harley and the the argument that everyone's always been having is look harley are traditionally a big hairy biker bike right lots of noise lots of lots of action lots of talk lots of grunt blah 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 but we've all been going can harley really reinvent themselves and attract a whole new buyer segment can they really get to the young crew who who are are now the buyers of bikes can they really appeal to them and the interesting thing was his view was having seen the bike having touched the bike having looked at the bike firsthand he reckons they're on a winner because it looks cool they haven't given us much on the specs yet but what we can see very nice high-end componentry so you know your brembo brakes nice looking forks nice design big belt drive um, all the traditional look and feel of a, of a Harley, but they've blended in a bit of high tech to it. Um, some of the interesting things for the tech guys out there, they are undoubtedly sticking with air cooling because the thing is covered in fins and scoops, which is a really interesting technological um, uh, fact because you know as you start pushing the performance of electric bikes, um, a temperature becomes an issue, particularly around the battery pack and particularly around the motor. And we now know that Harley have made some tweaks and changes to get more airflow in, but they are sticking with an air-cooled model. So that's one thing that we know already. But the, the bike looks beautiful. Um, there's a lot of optimism out there from, um, uh, from the people who were looking at it. And, of course, some amazing other announcements. You mentioned one of the other bikes that Jaguars... Uh, Jaguars. I was just about to say Jaguar. Jaguar is going to be into motorbikes now, electric motorbikes, with uh, yeah. a deal through Arc Vector, I think it's called. Arc Vector, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the high end, you know, if you want a bike that can do 260 k's an hour and looks like a futuristic Tron version of a cafe racer, you can get one. They're about 120 grand. A futuristic um, Tron version of a cafe racer. I have no yeah. idea what you're talking about. Yeah, so Tron... <laughs> Don't you remember Tron the movie? You know, the kind of electronic 80s thing? No? Okay, I'll send you a video. But um, uh, no, it's a it's a pretty interesting looking bike. Very high-end targeted, you know, 120 odd thousand bucks, but pretty impressive specs. So, you know, again, the, the, it's, you know, stuff's still happening out there. Stuff's okay. still happening. Nigel, I've got a knock on the door here, so I think it must be time for me to leave. Um, <laughs> if it, no, that's a very good reason, actually. We're just about to crack open a bottle of champagne. It's actually my birthday. Thank you for the wishes. No and, way. Uh, Happy yes. birthday, John. Thank you very much. So oh, I went that's out. very nice. I'll send you a T-shirt. Oh, thanks, mate. I went out and bought the the the, the best the best bottle of bubbles that a solar inside is um, a co-host can afford. And, oh, good um, on you. Yes. Good. Well, you, some... you enjoy that. You enjoy that. Oh, yes, I'm not going to tell you how old it was, but fed income. It's um, it's, You're a, fed it's, income, a, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. It's all downhill from here. Um, just in case we didn't already thank our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics and PV Cell, um, both um, long-term sponsors, and thank you very much for your support. And um, we'll um, we'll be back in a fortnight. And we'll have a split edition. We're going to have a Solar Insiders and we'll do another driven podcast. You and me talking extensively about um, whatever it is you said about the Tron thing and Mm. fins and hubs and God knows what else. (laughs) I'm going to have to brief you before that one. (laughs) You might have to. (laughs) Thanks, Nigel. Thanks to everyone out there. And don't forget, thanks to Matthew as well. Finnegan, Matthew. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I know. 
Tolerance Items was brought to you by Sunwiz, makers of PVCell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Thank you.